listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's a daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 20th of February 2023. Later, the latest report card for earnings season with Julia Lee. But first, let's start with Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Its CEO says to expect at least two more official interest rate rises. It comes as the bank posted a first half cash profit up 23% to $925 million. For more, I spoke with its CEO, Marnie Baker. Yeah, well, there is a, a, a lot of competition at the moment and we're seeing it um, on both sides of the, the balance sheet. So you're right for deposits and uh, for loans, but more specifically in the lending uh, in the lending area. And, you know, how, where we're seeing that competition is predominantly through uh, cashbacks. And, you know, as we've spoken about before, that's upfront cashbacks are, are not an area that we've actually uh, entered into. Customer numbers rose 5% over the half to 2.3 million. Where do they come from? Well, they're new customers to our bank and that's the, you know, that's the pleasing thing. And they've come through um, all of our different brands, um, but more specifically, they've come through our up proposition, uh, which is targeted at uh, millennials. So uh, it's a younger demographic. Um, We're hoping that we can you know, uh, the relationships that we have with them will go through their life journey, but we're also seeing it through our uh, Bendigo Bank uh, brand as well. Okay, still these new customers, along with your existing ones, will have to battle with rising interest rates. First of all, where do you think they'll go? Yeah, well, I think there's um, at least a couple more interest rate rises to to come, and we're probably at this stage, with all that we know, are targeting a, a terminal rate of around 4%. Um, 43% of your customers are at least one year ahead in repayments, 33% are two years, and then there's 84% of home loan customers maintaining a financial buffer. So to what extent are you worried about defaults, especially as we start to see that big bulk of customers moving from their fixed rates, those ultra-low fixed rates, to the higher variable rates? Yeah, look, of course it's a concern because interest rates have risen so quickly um, and so it does put, uh, you know, some people in more challenging positions. But we're staying very close with our customers and we've been, you know, to ensure that we understand their particular circumstances because you can you can run all the data and analysis that you like, but it's really talking to customers and understanding their specific circumstances is where you get the really valuable information. And you know, we do have, and most of them ha- actually have, um, you know, built up buffers over the, the last three years. But there's there's definitely a cohort on the edges um, that should we get further interest rate rises are going to find it more challenging. And, you know, and that's what we're here for. So we're encouraging all of our customers to ensure that if they do find that the pressure is, is coming on to them, to make sure that they are talking to us. A quick couple of comments on, on branches. We, we've seen uh, the Commonwealth Bank, I think Westpac as well last week, saying, hey, we won't close regional branches this year. Um, what's your stance in terms of, of where branches are going at Bendigo? Yeah, well, branches are a really important part of our strategy. They, they have been and they will continue to be in the future. Now, how they look 
um, and what is done through those physical presences will change over time, as, uh, and that's naturally so because businesses and models do uh, evolve. But, it, you know, it's really important that really local and close connection to customers and their communities, and that's what you get ha through having that physical presence uh, across communities right across Australia. So really important to our strategy. Finally, um, I know there's no direct link with superannuation, but there's that government proposal on the on a superannuation objective today, basically suggesting that uh, the goal here is to preserve savings. It sounds like it may limit any future possibility to withdraw funds early. Given that that you're a, a, a senior financial services um, a CEO, what's your stand with how superannuation should be used in Australia? Yeah, look, you know, I've heard the Treasurer come out with what he's looking to do. There's a fair, there's a lot more detail, no doubt, to be actually fleshed out behind that. So I won't make any comments necessarily about what he's directly talking about. But, you know, in a more general sense, the mandatory savings of superannuation is there for a reason. And, you know, it's there to ensure that as we go through our life and go into retirement that we can... Uh, live the lifestyle that uh, that we'd like to uh, at that point in time, and you know, and it's a way of doing it without an over reliance on on government to be able to do so. So, you know, um, a mandatory savings and superannuation is really important for everyone. Marnie Baker there, the CEO of Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Now to another profit result, that's of health insurer NIB. Half-year profit up nearly 13% to $92 million as COVID continues to send more people to private health. For more, I spoke with its CEO, Mark Fitzgibbon. So, Mark, as you mentioned in your outlook, there are difficulties in the public healthcare system. There's also the return of permanent migration and also an ageing society. To what extent is all of this a positive for the business? Oh, very much a positive. So the industry has been growing strongly since pre-COVID. Now, nobody celebrates COVID for a moment, uh, but it's certainly heightened awareness in the um, community about the risk of disease and the need uh, for protection. Uh, it certainly highlighted the advantages of having private health insurance given the difficulties being encountered by uh, the public system with long waiting times for uh, elective surgery. And look, favourable um, employment uh, conditions have also been uh, good for the sector. So, um, you know, it's been, the sector's having a good run. It's put on, you know, three quarters of a million people since the beginning of uh, COVID-19 and um, we're as positive about the future as ever. One of those areas, um, the public healthcare system, the issues there, how worried are you about the ability for the governments to continue to fund it and what needs to be done, do you think? Well, Ricardo, pardon the cliche, but one of the inconvenient truths of most Western healthcare systems is that governments are running out of sufficient younger taxpayers to pay for a burgeoning older, read sicker um, uh, uh, population. So when Australia's uh, Medibank, as it was then known, was established back in 1973. There was more than 11 taxpayers to pay for every one retired uh, person. Today, there's a bit over five. By 2040, there's a bit over three. So this growing dependency ratio of older retired people to younger taxpayers is a real dilemma for the welfare state, for all uh, Western uh, governments. Um, you know, we're part of that solution. Uh, inevitably, uh, people, particularly those of means like me, have to take greater responsibility for our lifetime healthcare cost. And of course, private health insurance is a mechanism for doing that. So 
Um, you know, we've got a lot of policy development to do uh, looking forward, but, um, you know, it's quite an imperative. You've um, failed to give financial guidance because of the economic uncertainty. What concerns you the most? Oh, the thing, the moving part that's most significant is the provisioning we've made for COVID-related lost or deferred ac- activity. So what's happened, Ricardo, during COVID, it's estimated the industry are missing about two and a quarter billion dollars in claims, activity and claims that would have otherwise happened. Now, as an industry, we've done very well to compensate members for that through cash rebates and premium deferrals. The ACCC, our independent um, competition authority, uh, estimates that's about $2.1 billion. So, you know, we've, we've tried really hard and done well in that respect, but it still leaves a lot of wriggle room. So, for example, we as a company, we have about $123 million that we've set aside for these these claims that didn't happen. Now, some of those claims will never happen. So, for example, if you went to the dentist twice a year for a checkup and you missed 21 and 22, you don't go six times in 23. Um, and then there's a question of, 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 of timing. So, for example, Abdul, who was due to have his knee replaced in 2022 and didn't because of Omicron, um, you know, He'll probably get that knee replaced, but it could be this year, it could be the year after that or the year after that, or maybe Abdul's lost a lot of weight. He's now walking on the beach each day and he's fine. It might be 20, um, uh, 30. So the estimates where with the provisioning we've made around deferred claims, as it's um, known, is, is, is uncertain. There's a lot of subjectivity there. So it's mainly that that causes us to think, look, you know, maybe we shouldn't try and be too precise on guidance. And we have given guidance. We've told we've told the marketplace what we expect our core business to grow by for the few year. We've told them very clearly for a couple of years that we'd ease back the profitability within that core business because making more than ten cents in the dollars neither sustainable or responsible. And but as it came off, profitability in our other businesses would recover, and that's exactly what's happened. How does this all flow through to premium increases for customers, for members, right? So over, I think, um, you've, you've offered the, the second lowest increase in premiums in 20 years. Um, we've also seen the, the deferral of these increases. Mm-hmm. For how long will these deferrals happen? And for how long do you see these increases in premiums to be below inflation? Yeah, well, that, that's true. Our premium increases are at record lows. You know, well, we have to go back 20 years uh, at least. And that's part of the way that we've been recognising the loss of activity during COVID and compensating uh, uh, members. Um, how long they continue um, depends upon the ongoing consequence of COVID because while COVID thankfully seems to be in the rear vision mirror for the time being, it's still having consequences. There are a lot of people still nervous about having treatment in hospital. It's having an impact on hospital workforces and their ability to actually uh, uh, treat people. So, you know, how long that plays out for, you know, is pretty much anyone's guess. But while ever activity remains low, we'll price to that level of, of low activity. That is Mark Fitzgibbon there, the CEO of NIB. Let's go to the Australian share market now, which rose today, but only just by 0.1%, 7,351. For more on the day's action, including what she thinks is happening with corporate reporting season here in Australia, I spoke earlier with Julia Lee from State Street Spider ETFs.
Reporting season is so important because it gives us an insight into how companies are traveling. And if you think about a share price, it's the value of a business. And that really means understanding where profit is coming from and more importantly, where it's going. So if we have a look at earnings season this time around, what we have seen is that earnings expectations have been falling. Now, before earnings season kicked off at the end of January, the market was had been expecting around about one and a half half percent earnings growth for the entire market. Now we're around about halfway through earnings season. The market's actually expecting to see a slight contraction in earnings for the rest of the calendar year, so down by about 0.4%. From what you've seen so far, what are the themes? Of course, the big theme is interest rates, and in no other sector have we seen it more important than in the financial space. If we have a look at the financial sector, we have seen banks performing not so well, and we've seen insurers performing well, boosting up the financial space. And if we have a look at how interest rates have impacted on those two areas, for the banks, as interest rates rise, usually their margins rise, but there becomes a point of pain where those high interest rates um, mean troubled loans. And that's really what we're seeing for the banks, fears that we're going to see more troubled loans and perhaps that we have seen uh, bank earnings peaking this cycle. We have a look at insurance. They derive a lot of their earnings from their investment portfolio. So as interest rates rise, like investors, they get more of a return on their investment portfolios, and that's been a positive So interest rates have been a big theme. The other area we've been watching is the consumer space because we know that as interest rates rise, people do tend to spend less. But the consumer space has been relatively resilient. And I guess there's hopes that we'll see somewhat of a Goldilocks recession. That's one where consumers keep on spending and not many people lose their jobs. So far, what we have seen is a resilient consumer space, although a little bit more cautiousness around those big ticket items where people are spending less or deferring those big items. You know, one of the things we do keep out a lot on on these uh, results season is the outlook statement. Do we know much about what companies are saying or or feeling about the future or are they still holding back the guidance like they did for much of the COVID pandemic? We've seen a little bit more cautiousness creeping in and also a growing number of companies which have missed expectations for these half-year results and yet stuck to their guns and their full-year guidance. What that means is that for the second half of the year, they're really going to have to ramp up and accelerate revenue in order to meet those full-year targets. And that, of course, for investors means there's a higher risk of an earnings downgrade coming down the track. So we have seen more and more companies I guess missing expectations, but still relatively confident that they're going to hit those full year expectations. And for investors, I guess that means fears that we will see more downgrades down the track. So that's uh, Australian companies that we've been talking about. What about overseas? How are earnings looking there? Well, we're almost through U.S. quarterly reporting season. We've seen more than 400 out of the top 500 companies reporting. And I guess the good news here is that earnings have been relatively resilient. We have a look at earnings expectations. They've really remained quite stable during this uh, reporting season, where growth of around about 1.9% is expected. Not only is the U.S. season important, but this week we'll see the Singapore as well as Hong Kong companies reporting. So we'll really get an idea of how things are going 
around the globe. But so far, we've seen a pretty resilient earnings picture, even though we are seeing an increase in the number of downgrades versus upgrades. We have a look at the US. We've seen 181 companies upgrading versus 282 companies downgrading. Julia Lee there from Spider uh, State Street Spider F ETFs. This SBS on the Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.